What's up, runners? Welcome back to the Up and Running podcast. This episode I have been anticipating for the past month. Uh, I heard this guest speaker on my own coach's podcast, and I was like, oh my God, I need to bring her on. I need to have this conversation with her to bring light some really heavy and difficult topics that need to be addressed in the running community and just in life in general. Um, So on this podcast, we are going to be talking with Ali Ray Pesta. She is a published author, a run coach, yoga teacher, and most importantly, she is an eating disorder advocate and recovery coach. Now, that being said, I do want to put a trigger warning on this podcast. One, there's going to be a little bit of explosive language that I drop here and there, but two, we are going to be talking about some really heavy topics, and Allie is going to be going into depth in her experience with struggling with her own eating disorders and her recovery through this process. So please take a moment to reflect with yourself if this is something that you are in a safe space to listen to and to not have it impact you in a negative way. This podcast is intended to bring light to these topics and to allow the conversation to be had and and create a safe space for people to feel heard, feel seen, and hopefully connect with Allie and create a new relationship that hopefully supports them in your own journey moving forward. So without further ado, let's chat with Allie. What's up runners? This is the Personalized Running Doc. I'm a runner rehab specialist, running coach, and competitive distance runner. And throughout the early years of my running career, I was plagued with repetitive injuries and told by many a professional that it was my body's own fault that my body wasn't built for running, so either I could quit or just live with the pain. I decided to choose option three, dive into the science behind running and training, which is what allowed me to return to running pain-free and continue chasing after my own PRs to this day. And now I'm gonna tell you all that I have learned along the way and how I coach my own athletes to do the same. This is the Up and Running Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast and welcome, Ali. I'm so excited to have you on here. I, I've i like been waiting for this conversation since we talked about a month ago and just been like excited, anticipation, like all building up to like have this ability to talk with you and in, in your expertise and your like safe space on the platform that you like provide. Um, before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of it all, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Allie? Yeah, thanks so much, Lauren. It's It made my day when you reached out and asked for me to be on here. So super, super excited for this conversation. So who am I? I think one of the most loaded questions as human beings. Um, and at my core, what I always say is I am someone who empowers people, makes people feel seen, heard, and loved. And I just love to build community. And For me, that comes out in a variety of ways, but I think at the end of the day, like the core of who we are is really truly what matters, not as much the titles. But some of my titles that I'll highlight, um, I am a run coach, I am a yoga teacher, I'm an eating disorder recovery or intuitive eating coach, and then I'm most recently a published author. And for me, um, a lot of those have that common theme of wanting to walk alongside of people in their journeys, not lead them. Um, I think leadership is, you know, 
convoluted at times. It's really walking alongside somebody. And I think a lot of those also have that common theme of just making people feel empowered, whether that's empowered through movement, whether that's empowered through writing and sharing of stories, or whether that's just empowered by being like, hey, I get it. And I'm here to help you find that freedom with your body, with food. Everything that I do, my purpose is truly to make people feel empowered, seen, and heard. I love that. That's uh, and that resonant. I think one of the reasons why, like when I heard you actually speaking on podcast with my coach Tucker, I was like, "Oh my god, I need to talk to this person because her mission of empowering the people that you work with." It's the same thing for me in terms of the people that I work with. I want to empower runners who have had such a negative relationship with running maybe growing up um, because they've been told that they've been injured and it's their body's own fault and medical providers essentially just like pu- pushing them aside and not giving them any uh, feeling of worth it, or that they belong. And I think as human beings, we're such social beings that like that is the core thing that we're trying to do. We're trying to find our place. We're trying to find our like who we belong with, the community that we're involved with. And when people love something so much and then they're essentially told by outsiders that it's their fault that they don't belong, it's something that they can't even control because we're born with the body that we have. They're like, wait, what do you mean? (laughs) Like, this can't be the answer. And I was told that growing into my own body and running. And that's one of the reasons it took me down the path that I went down. And so now like my mission is to empower runners to see like how strong their bodies can be, how resilient they are and like the journey that they can have with that. And I, I also kind of follow along the, the thought process of, I can tell you all the things I can give you all the tools, but I can't do it for you. Like, and that's, that's again, like standing side by side with somebody, not like guiding them and pulling them along. It's like, nope, this is, this is, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to take into your own um, life and utilize and have like the self kind of accountability and autonomy to push yourself forward with like, I can only do so much for you. Totally. Yeah. It's like, you got to want it. Right. And you have to want it for you, not mm-hmm. want it for what maybe you think you should. I think I love to, there's two things that came to mind. Well, one, thank you for sharing. Um, and two, This idea of goals and my friend and I, we challenge ourselves whenever we think that we have a new goal or want to do something, we ask who put that there, like literally physically thinking about putting a sticky note down and saying who put that there and questioning like maybe or what's that limiting belief, like who put that there and then how can you start to kind of rewrite that dialogue and then I think what you were talking about like tools and resources, but you can't do it. And it's also that internal, whether that is healing, whether that is recovering, whether that's asking for help, whether that's starting a running journey, whatever that looks like, like there is that internal desire that you also have to have. And maybe Mm -hmm. that'll come in a later time and that's okay. It's giving yourself that grace as well. Um, But I, I love all that you shared of like, there's so much of also sharing our journeys mm-hmm. um, to support people to be like, oh, I'm not alone in this. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's essentially what the core of your book that you just published is about is sharing your journey. And um, again, the conversation that you had with Tucker was essentially you wrote this book for your 17 year old self. So 
tell one, tell us about what is your book about and what it's been like over the past month officially being a published author. Yeah. So my book is called Beyond My Body. And the subtitle is Recovering from a Complex Eating Disorder, Reclaiming Movement, and Finding My Worth. And I always knew I wanted to write a book. Um, I Writing was the way that I had a really anxious mind growing up. Um, mm-hmm. Still do. But for me, writing was the one way where it felt like my mind started to get a bit more quiet. Um, it's not that the thoughts were empty. It was just that it was like a bit of a slowing down, a bit of a respite. And writing for me was also the way that I could make sense of the world. Um, I had a ton of just like ideas and stories and things that I always wanted to do. And so uh, when I was five, I was like, one day I'm going to write a book. And I was like, okay, cool, go do that. And when I was 17, um, well, fast forward some time, I, that's when I was diagnosed with my eating disorder, uh, specifically anorexia, orthorexia, which is an obsession with clean eating, healthy eating, taking all of those diet fads and going mm-hmm. to the extreme with them and exercise addiction. And I had it written for months because I had no thoughts. I had no way to really write again. Um, I was just so empty. And my sister got me my first journal again back in the hospital. And one of my first journal entries was one day I'm going to write a book about this. And I knew that because it wasn't a claim to fame. It wasn't because, oh, I, I want to say I'm an author. It was because I knew there were other people that were also going through this. As mm-hmm. we talked about earlier, there's other people that deserve to feel seen and heard in these words and say, me too, I get this. And I wrote it when I say I wrote it for my 17 year old self. So many of those words I wrote for her because they were words she was not hearing. Mm -hmm. It was also rewriting her story and really making sense with what the hell just happened these past 17 years. Um, The book itself is a five part memoir and it's written in vignette style, which is a bunch of short stories you can read on their own or they come together to create a full story. And part one is about growing up and different things that I didn't realize impacted me, but did. Part Mm -hmm. two is kind of getting into the throes of the eating disorder. Part three is the first few hospital stays. Part four is starting to recover. And then part five is really finding that freedom. Um, Although in the sense that it's very nonlinear. And I think that that just speaks to the human experience too. but in regards to, to how a lot of running experiences as well, where right? like there's just this a lot of back and forth and this give that has to happen. Exactly. Yeah. I would say running um, is such a metaphor for life. Yeah. And when we try to just, and I number one culprit of this, like try to just push, 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 not listen to our body when it's speaking to us and just do the same thing every day or try to just control we're not letting the ebbs and flow of running of our body telling us just naturally happen. So yes, running a hundred percent and running is a very core theme of my book too. Um, but yeah, since I wrote the book and it's been out has been so refreshing and so healing. I was literally so scared for it to go out. Um, so many of those stories, no one had heard. And if they had heard maybe, you know, no one had heard all of them. Mm-hmm. I would, the first 
like the few weeks leading up to it, I was sobbing like every day, just honestly, fully transparent, was having like panic attacks, being like, I can't put this out there. I'm so scared. And I listened to a podcast with Alexi Bravey, who's, or Alexi Pappas, who wrote the book. Yes. She's incredible. And she described that of like, oh my gosh, all this fear. Um, And it was just really, again, affirming to be like, okay, if this person can be like, I have all this fear, I can do that too. (laughs) Um, But since I launched it, it's been so, I've been hearing from people from all over, um, people that I've never talked to before, people that I knew growing up that were like, oh my gosh, like I wasn't there for you. And I think some of the coolest messages have been like, yes, this was your journey with your eating disorder. And this book is not just for people that experience eating disorders. I think Mm -hmm. all have felt not enough or too much, or we all are challenged by our body image. We all have desires and dreams and is challenged by feeling in and out of control. So there's so much more to the book than just the journey with the eating disorder. Um, and so that's been really cool that people have been feeling that as well. That's amazing. Like, uh, and I know right before we like hit play on this, we were talking about like the impacts that this type of thing can have where we are so scared to put ourselves out there to be like so vulnerable in a way that like, again, we think everybody's going to see it, but the truth is the people that do see it are those that really need to like hear the message and those people that like really connect with it and then like communicate with that or come into our community are those that like again they're they're resonating with us they're connecting with us for a certain reason and we're drawing in those people for a certain reason so it one kudos for you for one taking the time to put all of those experiences down on pen and paper because i can only imagine like how hard that sometimes must have been in those moments to like bring those things up. Um, even me talking about things with my therapist is sometimes hard. And then she asks me to write things down and I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to write it down, <laughs> but she's challenged me a couple of times with doing that because she's like, write it down and then write it down again in a month and see how your story changes. See how your perspective of this changes because part of our, healing process as humans is storytelling and storytelling to ourselves and to our family and to our friends to create this person, an idea of who we are and at our core and the values that we have. Um, And something that I really connected with, with you, what you just said was like, as a child, you were like, I know I'm going to write a book one day. And then even at 17, like you came back to that. I've always known that like, I wanted to do something with running ever since like I got into running. Um, I knew that like, that was like movement and running and empowering and being strong was something that I wanted to like help people. And it's funny because my parents kind of like shifted me away from that because they were like, Oh, you can't make any money being a coach or being a personal trainer. They were like, go into physical therapy. And it was the best decision. I like, I absolutely loved going to school, learning what I learned and meeting the people that I met. Like I wouldn't have had half of the experiences or met the people that I've met if it wasn't for that. Um, but coming back around, it's exactly what I ended up doing. And I ended up still coming back to that core, like child 
like idea of what I wanted to be like inherently, I knew that this was like my path. And it's interesting that you've also had that feeling like you were like, I know that this is my path and like, not sure when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen one day. Totally. Yeah. There's, there's so much incredible things that you shared there. And I think in regards to like, not getting caught up in the numbers and the masses reading it and knowing that that individual impact is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, like we are the experts of our life and we are the only person that can tell our story. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what's so beautiful about writing and specifically like memoir writing and storytelling is because we each have such a individualistic experience and relationship to the world and something that only we truly can bring. And with that, we likely will only match with certain people that are there to resonate. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my favorite quotes that I really have been staying in tune with was, um, you are not for everyone and that's okay. Like you're not meant to be for everyone. If you start to feel like you are for everyone, um, like throwing it back. It's like, you're a sellout because you're not being authentic to who you are. Yeah. When you're authentic to who you are, there are going to people be people that fall away and they're going to be people that gravitate and there are going to be people, some that stay neutral, but it's at times can be that polarizing and that's okay. That shows that you're doing something right because it shows you're being true to who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of being true to who you are and what you were saying with the last point of just knowing. And for me, I think specifically with the book is just that like, I know how healing writing is. I'm very similar though, like running, I started running, I was eight. And for me, running has always been such a core to who I am as well. Um, And within all of those common threads, it's like, I just feel empowered. I feel empowered by running. I feel empowered by writing. I feel empowered when through those things I can support others Mm-hmm. And also feeling empowered or seen or heard or like that they're capable. I think running teaches us so much about that too. Yeah. And I, again, keep referencing this podcast, um, but you talked about your like first experience when you went running. And again, it was one of those like periods in your life where you like actually, again, had the quiet in your mind. Yeah. And I, I vividly also remember that being my experience as well, because similarly, I, I deal with anxiety, definitely dealt with anxiety as a child, but like it wasn't talked about as much. It wasn't as well accepted to talk with a mental health professional and like deal with these things like head on. Um, But there was a lot of things going on in my background life, in my family life. And listen, I had an amazing childhood, had have amazing parents, like huge loving families but there were still like traumatic experiences that we normalize in society that happened during those periods of time. And when you're a child and you don't know how to communicate what you're feeling <laughs> and then you're expected to interact with the world and, but you have like all these emotions and all these feelings and like, you don't know what you're feeling, but yet you need some like outlet for it. Sometimes movement can be that outlet. And that's what running was for me. It was the time where I could just, tune everything out and just move as fast as possible because that's what running was when you were a middle schooler was just running as fast as possible for a very short period of time um 
and having that quiet, having that sense of like, oh, it's just me and it's me competing against me and it's me being in my body and in my mind and whatever's happening and whatever anybody else is doing, it doesn't matter because I feel strong in this. I feel good in this. I feel empowered in this. Um, and that like, that's one of the reasons that like I come back to running always, like regardless of where I am in my life, I've had many periods of time where my relationship with running has like gone in and out. And I've had periods of time where I've had to step back even most recently, um, from the competitive side of running, but I always stay with running. I always come back to running because of not like having to go for a run and like do running and just running around. Um, it's because of how running makes me feel. And I have these conversations with my clients because sometimes they feel like, well, if I'm not training for something or I don't have a goal, then why am I doing this? And I'm like, let's talk about why you're doing this. Why did you start running? And what is running make you feel? And like, let's talk about those actual values of what it gives you as a person and what it like tells you who you are. Like I have like a list of values that I have right next to my computer of all of the things that like I kind of ground myself on that. Those are like my foundational core values. Um, and a lot of it comes from running as well. Why do I like running? It's because running reinforces that these are my core values, that these, this is something that's important to me as a person. Uh, and it sounds like you've had a very similar experience with the things that you've chosen in your life to, again, be able to call yourself a run coach, yoga teacher, published author, all of those things. Totally. And I think if you, one, when we were, you were talking about, you know, running and continuously coming back to running and as a kid, and it's like, we were, we are born to be movers. We just mm -hmm. are for the most part, you know? Um, and when you think about growing up, you moved for the sake of moving. You bike to your friend's house, you ran to play tag, like you just did it for fun. the sake of movement. Yeah. And had so much fun. And I think we lose that. And so, you know, what, whatever your movement modality is, whether that is running or there's something else that you feel called to, or maybe you're one of those people. I feel like I'm one. I like, I love to run. I love to swim. I love to bike. I love to box. Like I just like to move my body. And when I find that yes, running is usually my core, um, I'm coming back from injury. So somewhat, but, um, you know, when I feel expansive and an array of different types of movement, it one allows me to be a lot more intuitive with my movement for me personally. So I can get up and ask like, how do I want to move my body today? Mm -hmm. And sometimes the answer is rest. Sometimes the answer is a gentle walk. Sometimes the answer is go swim, like whatever that looks like. But for me, it creates freedom when I have options yeah. rather than I think from when I'm like, I'm only going to run. That just doesn't work for me. But there's some people that are like, that's all the only movement I want to do. And I'm like, amazing. Cool. You do, you do it. Obviously let's add some strength work in there yeah. um, because we need to keep the bones good, all the things, but your other piece kind of going off of like, when people say, well, I'm not training for anything. It's like getting back in tune and asking that, well, were you training for anything when you were eight years old running? No. Yeah. So it's like, how do we reframe the entire mindset around movement to be like, 
none of us are training to be in the in the Olympics majority. If you're listening to this podcast, I highly doubt you are. If you are, no. amazing, great, glad you're listening. <laughs> but most of us are not. And so how do we come back to that as our root? Is like movement at the end of the day should just be fun. It yeah. should be intuitive. It should keep us feeling alive and great and like a way to connect. Whether that's connecting to others or connecting to our body. And by tuning in there, and rooting ourselves in there versus like, oh, I'm not training for a goal. It's like, if all we're focusing is on the goal, we're missing the whole damn point. Like there yeah. is no end goal at life. This sounds morbid, but at the end of the day, like we're all have the same end goal. It's, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. <laughs> so like, how do we just focus on that journey piece and all Imagine the steps along the way? The like end of the road was you finishing life and they're like how fast can you run a 5k you're there if you can run the fastest 5k like what? <laughs> and it's like no that's not going to be the determinant no. of your value and like no. the life that you had and the the mission and the ability that you had to like yes. impact others <laughs> like exactly. it doesn't matter no exactly like, <laughs> i literally just think about like a gravestone i'm like no one's gonna say oh she had the thinnest body ever no one gives a shit no people care about okay you make me feel like my friend told me, I still go back to this forever and ever. He's like, you're five hour energy in a human being. I'm like, that's the best compliment I've ever gotten. And that's what I want in my gravestone. <laughs> like, I just. So you're a golden retriever when it comes to energy. Oh, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> oh, I love so, that. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, there's so many bigger things. And when we get so focused and it's not, it's not saying that goals are bad. No. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having intention. It's just how can we focus more on every single step along the way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like what you said before where it's like, okay, you can have these goals, but then put a sticky note in that and say like, why do you have that goal? Like, is that yeah. something that you inherently want? Or is that something that like you think you're supposed to get? That literally made me think, I'm like, wait, why do I want certain goals? And I was like, I need to go back and think about this. Um, And some of those goals, like I don't like they aren't on the forefront of my mind right now. And there's a reason that like I've kind of like pushed them to the side because I'm like, it doesn't really matter at this moment, but I need to maybe go back and revisit. Okay, I have these goals. Why do I have these goals? And like, what's the what's the reason behind what's what? I don't, I don't know if validation is the right reason, but what's the thing that I'm looking for to get out of this? Totally. Um, Yeah. And I think on top of that, it's like also when you do have maybe they're like loftier goals, no goal is big or small. Like they just are all things that we're working towards. And though when maybe it is something that might be a bit more effortful, when you are so clear on the why, when it gets hard, when you talked about earlier, when I would have those days where it was just healing, but also so damn hard to put myself back in some of those situations, Mm -hmm. I would be like, why the hell am I doing this? Is it worth it? Should I keep doing that? And because I was so vividly clear on that why, a why that has never felt so strong with writing my book, it was easy, truthfully, to keep going because mm-hmm. I knew my why was solely like the strongest why I've ever felt. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, then you, they, again, you know exactly what your purpose is and like it makes it, it doesn't necessarily matter how long the journey takes. It's just like you putting in the reps and doing the effort and focusing on just like what you're doing for yourself versus a specific outcome. 
which yes. is something that like I preach heavily with like all my athletes. I'm like yes. effort over outcomes, like yes. all day, every day for the rest of your life. Yes. <laughs> if you want to be running for the rest of your life, you need to just let go of the outcome. Yes, they're important. Extrinsic goals are important, but there needs to also be those intrinsic reasons of why you're doing that and what the values are behind that, that are giving you that reason to keep pushing and keep moving forward. Um, I want to take a like quick left turn and talk about one of the main themes, like you said, of your book is talking about your experience with your eating disorder and disordered eating. I want again, one, because some people might, might not be like explicitly aware of like the different forms of eating disorders that or disordered eating that occurs. So can you go back and kind of talk about the two forms that you had mentioned earlier and any others that like you would think that would be specifically applicable to or that you see most common maybe in the running community? Yeah, So on the touch between disorder eating and eating disorders, um, unfortunately, because of diet culture, a large majority of our population has at least some type of disordered eating or disordered eating patterns, right? I'm raising a hand. Yep, exactly. Like (laughs) I've dealt with it. (laughs) Okay, someone, I'm going to do Whole30, like cutting out foods when it's not medically needed. Those are all forms of disordered eating. When Mm -hmm. I think back to, um, I'm going to tell a quick story before I go on and answer, but I think back to eating as a baby. So if you haven't watched a baby eat, (laughs) literally look up a video of a baby eating. I don't know what, but anyways, you see the baby cry when they're hungry, eat the food and then push the bottle away. We were just like, we were made to intuitively move. We were made to intuitively eat. Mm-hmm. Or we get all of these messages as we grow, whether that's on body size or don't eat this, or this food's good, this food's bad, this food has morality. Like food doesn't have morality. Or this Ooh. food's like super tasty and so you're going to want it more. <laughs> yes. Or like sugar's addictive, biggest myth <laughs> ever. Um, so all of these things we start to learn, which then form patterns that are technically disordered. When it becomes an eating disorder and clinically diagnosed, which unfortunately there aren't, like the DSM-5 only recognizes three eating disorders. We're ideally working and advocating for it to recognize more, but as a, like a whole community, I would use that word loosely, but the eating disorder world, we recognize a lot more than just mm-hmm. three. Um, but it's when it starts to become that all consuming and it pretty much like starts to take over your life. I want to really preface and emphasize that there is no one way to have an eating disorder and also no one body type, gender, race, ethnicity, like eating disorders do not discriminate. And unfortunately, they have been deemed as a white, thin, female privileged disease. And because the reason they are is because that's typically the only group that gets access to treatment, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And it's mostly the only group that they've done research on. And what it does is it discounts all of the other um, types of eating disorders. And so um, one other statistic is, so eating disorders are the second deadliest mental disorder. There are 10,200 deaths per year um, as a direct result of an eating disorder. So Is that in the U.S. or is that? That's in the U.S. Yep. yep. Yeah. It impacts okay. 9% of the world population. That's crazy. Um, it is, yeah, it's, it's sad. devastating. Yep. There's one death every 52 minutes. 
So if we think about that um, and we don't talk about it. Mm -mm. And for me personally, I had anorexia, which is one that's probably the most commonly known and say anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder are the three that are recognized by the DSM-5. And I think the most known to some degree, um, but anorexia is really that restrictive and you are not consuming food for the most part. Um, but you still can eat and have anorexia. That is also a myth. Mm-hmm. Um, and my other, the other um, disorder was orthorexia, which I mentioned earlier is that obsession with clean eating. And we're seeing a large rise of that um, because of how much our society has changed to fitspiration and the fitness culture and diet culture of don't eat this, don't eat that, follow this trend, go to keto, go to paleo. And eating disorders are genetic too. So someone could start keto and then their genetic component gets turned on and it then turns into an eating disorder. I went on a diet with my mom that was very restrictive, which then within weeks had spiraled into an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one, ex- exercise addiction or compulsive exercise is what it's known as too. The reason why I separate that out for me personally um, is because it was like the main component of my eating disorder. Um, bulimia is purging. Um, and for me, it was like, yes, it was a form of purge, but it also was just so all consuming. It felt like my hands would shake if I didn't get to the gym. And if I didn't go to the gym long enough, and every time I go to the gym, I would need to do more. So if I did the stair stepper for X amount of minutes, the one day, the next day I needed to do more and always adding on things. So, um, those are the ones that I experienced, but there's also, what we're seeing, it's newer um, in males, also to emphasize males and uh, non-binary, like it affects all, we actually see it even higher in LGBTQ um, mm-hmm. because of body dysmorphia that's already happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and in men, we see something called bigorexia, which is obsession with needing to get larger muscle muscle mass. So that's where we'll see steroids or performance enhancing drugs, which is extremely, extremely dangerous. Um, or that bulking and cutting and going extreme for that um, weight loss and then weight gain and then weight loss and then weight gain. So um, all in all to say is red S is also, uh, that's like very energy deficient. Um, yeah. That's technically not an eating disorder, but it's within that eating disorder spectrum. Yeah. Somebody that is maybe experiencing an eating disorder will probably put themselves or disordered eating can put themselves into red S, S. um, which I actually just spoke about like on the episode I filmed prior to this, uh, specifically around females and menstrual cycle training. Um, but yeah, red S. So that was one of the things that I like, almost I'm like certain that I probably experienced red S when I was in college because of the fact that I didn't have an eating disorder, but I did have disordered eating where I was very, very conscious of all of the foods that I was putting in my body. I was very conscious of how many overall calories am I eating and how do I get down to, how do I burn enough calories each day? And if I didn't and I ate this, well, then I need to go for a two mile run to burn it off and like all of these little things. Um, yeah. 
And I have also been like vegetarian and vegan at times and then back to vegetarian and then back to eating meat. And though there is a very strong component there that was like, there is a moral reason, there is an ethical reason. I now also recognize that like sometimes that mindset was also like me thinking about probably subconsciously thinking about like limiting calories and limiting this um, because meat does have more calories. And so now I, I don't kind of quantify myself as somebody that eats a certain way because I'm like, Nope, I eat all foods. I just try to work on my balance and try to work on my ability to accept that they're all good. <laughs> they're, yes. they're all food. There's no such thing as a bad food. One of my friends is a registered dietitian. She's like, there's literally no such thing as a bad food unless like it's moldy. Yes. <laughs> and like, except for like blue cheese, blue cheese is supposed to have mold, but yes. <laughs> all of the others, like if there's blue, if there's mold on it, then it's bad and yes. it's gone bad and it's rotten, but it's not like no other food is considered bad. bad. Um, every time that I talk to a female athlete and here I eat so clean and I don't know why I can't lose weight and blah, blah, blah. Like my like orange and red flags immediately go up and I'm like, okay, we have some discussions maybe to have in the future around food and making sure that we eat more and getting in the right like nutrients and like seeing what exactly is like happening below the surface of like what people are actually doing. Because more often than not, I'm seeing so many runners under eating and so afraid to increase the amount of food that they're eating because they're afraid that it's going to mean that they gain weight. And maybe they do at the start, but then actually their body realizes, oh my God, now we have enough food. Now I can like actually like perform my best, feel my best. And maybe there is that we lose a little bit of like uh, fat mass in that process. We gain a little bit more lean mass in that process, but that's not the ultimate goal. It's like, how do you feel when you run? How are you recovering? How are you like looking and feeling in your, your clothes and all of those things? Like, those are the things that like, I want to make sure that people are eating enough for because food is fuel and it's important, but it's also community. It's also connection. It's heritage. It's, um, tradition. It's all of these things. And like there's love in certain foods that we think about the foods that like our parents made us. Like we think about, I wrote an email about this, uh, a couple of weeks ago about like certain, like I love breakfast. And I like, when I was writing this email, I was like, why do I love breakfast so much? And I'm like, Oh my God, it's because I have so many memories with my dad around going for breakfast mm-hmm. with my mom around making like breakfast foods, even breakfast, like uh, Brenner or making like yeah. pancakes and like eggs around dinner time. And like, why do I love breakfast food so much? It's because of those things. It's not because like, it is because the food's delicious, <laughs> But it's also because I have those associated connections from a child of like, this was like a communal time. This was like an extra special time that I got to have with my parents. Um, But thank you for kind of like going through each of those different layers and different um, kind of like sections that are, that need to be known about, need to be talked about. Um, And also understanding that, like you said, there's a blend that can occur and there's a, there isn't a one size fits all in terms of like absolutely categorically falling into this one. It's like, Nope, there can be a whole mesh of things kind of going on. Yeah. We Um, also, we usually find the two, you know, 
more than one or also there's like the co-occurrence with other like Mm -hmm. with often with depression or anxiety or OCD Mm -hmm. Um, you see that a lot as well if you feel comfortable can you tell us about what your experience was yeah just overall yeah 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 and one point I do want to share when you were talking about you know the you might gain weight or lose weight so there's this concept, I don't know if you know the theory called set point theory, mm-hmm. um, but I think that that's really important to emphasize is that we as a society, unfortunately, are extremely fat phobic. Um, and there is so much weight stigma that is so wrong. BMI is just dumb. Um, but that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. But <laughs> set point theory really talks about how your body, it has this kind of range that it loves to exist in. And mm-hmm. that's when like, if you are female, everything's working. You're getting your period, your hormones are working. You feel good in your body. You feel present. You have thoughts, like everything's good. And that is that range that you're meant to be in. So when we start actually nourishing our bodies and maybe moving in a way that is not, I love to say is life-giving, not life-taking, like it really fills you up, then our body's just going to find its thing. It might gain weight, it might lose weight, but it doesn't matter. Because what matters is like, how do you actually feel? And so mm-hmm. a lot of times with my clients, I'll come back to that is like how I always ask, how do you feel? And then that sometimes will open something, but just wanted to preface on, on that piece. Um, yeah. And that, I think I one like that point because something I feel as females, we have this number. And I now know where my number came from. Um, But we have this number in our mind of like what our weight is supposed to be. Um, And something really validating that for me happened was when I read um, Dr. Stacey Sims. Are you familiar Mm -hmm. with her? She's an exercise physiologist, focuses all on female health. She has some controversial things that I'm not a huge fan of, but she has some really good information in some of her books. And one of her books talked about like, bone size and literally that there can be like a 20 pound difference in bone size from like one five foot two individual to another five foot two individual. And then we look at ourselves and we're like, but I want to be like that. And it's like, but you weren't built like that. You weren't born like that. And yeah. And you have thicker bones and that that's actually like, it can be a good thing. Um, but we don't see it that way. And so like, I now know where, so my number that I had in my head that I'm always supposed like, I'm supposed to be at this weight. I'm not at that weight. Um, and I don't care, but was 125 because that was one, the BMI number where my height and age, like that's where I was supposed to be. And so I was always like, okay, I have to stay 125 forever. Um, but also that number 125, being between 120 and like 125 was the number that I always remembered my mom being so focused on as well. Mm. And my mom's four inches taller than me. And yes, she has a different bone structure. My mom is definitely a little bit thinner. She has definitely smaller bones. She's like, I'm built a little bit more like my dad, who's a little bit like kind of brawny and has broad shoulders. Um, And that's fine. I'm a mixture of the both of them. But I always remember my mom kind of harping on that number and being very aware of that number. And not to say that it like, again, it was something that she learned because my grandmother had a very big um, issue with weight and she would make it known. Uh, 
like my 13th birthday, she called me fat <laughs> um, on my birthday. And so like my mom grew up with that even more so than I grew up with it as her as my grandmother. And again, there's so many like layers of this. Like I don't necessarily blame my grandmother. I don't blame my mom. Like they had their own things that they were dealing with during those times. But now I realize as an adult, that's where I got that number from. I got it from an arbitrary chart that doesn't indicate what the actual like lean to um, fat mass that I have, how much, like how heavy my bones are. It doesn't indicate any of that kind of stuff. And it also was a number that my mom was so ingrained and focused on. And I don't know where that number came for her, but that number came from somewhere as well. And these numbers don't necessarily fit what we feel are best at. Like I feel better and I feel great in my body now, 15 to 25 pounds heavier than that. Yeah. And like, that's fine. Like, and I still run the same paces. I still run the same efforts. I still perform great. My period's consistent. I recover really well. And like, all of those things are what matter, not the number. The number doesn't mean shit. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so generational too. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And I am similarly, it's like, BMI, F that, FBMI. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for for my journey, it's definitely loaded to talk through all of it. Um, I think the pieces that I think feel relevant for Elise's audience, like in running, um, it was just so quick, it seems like. But then looking back, I realized it wasn't. It was similarly of so many messages received growing up or um, different ways that I was just so focused on wanting to be exceptional and wanting to be the best. And I looked at all my friends who were the tiny, thin ones playing soccer, and I was always larger boned. I was always um, just a larger bodied kid growing up. Um, I wore size 14, 16, when everyone else was wearing size eight. I double D booze by the time I was in eighth grade. Like I was just a larger woman. And I thought that that was just so wrong because those were all the messages received growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, And like from family perspective, there's also messages from family growing up. Um, My dad um, used to always say like, don't eat that or else you won't fit through the door. And that message I just like internalized so deeply. Um, so the mo- when I started, I actually started getting into my eating disorder. Um, one, as I mentioned earlier, I was going on a diet with my mom and it was called the 17 day diet uh, by this guy named Dr. Moreno at four phases. The first phase you like cut out a bunch of things and I, um, stopped there because I was like, I'm getting small. I'm thin. Oh my gosh. People are telling me how good I look. Wow. This is amazing. I started to, my mind started to get a little bit quieter and Mm -hmm. I felt in control. I now looking back now, look, my mind is quieter because it wasn't getting the nutrients it needed. And that quietness slow, like not slowly, rapidly shifted to a ton of noise, but what I call ad noise or eating disorder noise, because it was like, oh my gosh, the list just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller till at the height of it. Um, and preface, I'm going to speak behaviors, but at the height of it, I was eating half a sweet potato at times a quest bar and like five raspberries a day. 
um, and working out about four to five hours a day. Um, And I was very obsessed with my numbers. My fitness pal was like literally my only form of social media. Um, And it was tracking absolutely everything. Like it had to be tracked, double tracked, double checked even before it went into the machine um, and then would track all of my movement. And if my number didn't get to the number that it needed to be every day, um, then I would need to do more and do more and do more. And the getting into the fitness piece, I was actually training to go to the Naval Academy. I got into the summer seminar, which is for uh, incoming seniors. And I started training and was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go. This is amazing. And again, I think it was just kind of this like perfect storm that everything came together and the training just started to get out of hand to the point where I didn't end up going to the summer seminar because I told my parents, I don't want that goal anymore. But internally, I knew it was because I didn't want to eat family style. They would have sent me home um, because I was so sick. But I went to Europe and I had what's called refeeding syndrome. So basically you are, you take in a lot more calories than you previously had. And I was working out a lot less. This happens to like malnourished individuals in third world countries. Um, And my legs swelled up twice the size. I could barely walk and I almost had a heart attack there. Um, So I get home and my mom and my dad is like, you're going to doctor right now. Like we're getting this figured out. They didn't realize like how bad it was, especially because we talk about it kind of like, you know, you're watching a fire slowly burn, but you're sitting next to the fire the entire time. So you don't realize how big it's getting because you were there from the start versus Mm -hmm. someone else comes in and is like, whoa, why is everything on fire? You're like, oh, it was, it's just a slow burn, but it wasn't. Yeah. And so I get to the doctor and she pulls my parents out and is like, we got to take her to the hospital like right now. Um, at that point, my heart was at, rate was at 26. My blood sugar was at 18. Um, and they, uh, I was the first person that my pediatrician diagnosed with an eating disorder. Um, that's how little it was talked about 10 years ago. And I got to the hospital and they were like, if you would have kept going the way you were, you would have had about one week left to live. Um, oh my God. So it was pretty intense and the recovery since then, uh, I mean, it was a few hospital stays treatment, which was the best decision ever. It was definitely when we talked about before of people having to want it. Um, it was finally the first time that I wanted to recover. Um, and just so many little steps along the way and so many different pieces that I think helped with recovery, having a treatment team, Um, having my parents, having support, understanding movement again, getting over fears, like all of the things. But um, that's also why I've I've waited a while to fully share because I also think that there's a balance between being able to be in that hurting place, then you're in that healing place, and then in a helping place. And -hmm. I think because eating disorders can be any, but like because it is very behavior specific, it can be very triggering if you are not in a healing place or a helping place and instead it can become it's just a very comparative disease so it's like a trying to one-up each other on who has the best eating disorder which is so effed up 
but I knew that I needed to heal on my own before I started truly sharing more. Mm-hmm. Well, first, thank you for, for sharing that. That is a one. I'm super happy to have you here today. Happy that you have come so far from that place uh, because talking with you and hearing your story, hearing who you are as a person, oh my God, the the light that this world would have missed with not being able for you to be here to to just express that yourself. Like, thank you for for taking the time to be so vulnerable and share that. And like, damn, you have come so far. <laughs> Like that's, it's just, it's truly incredible. The, the path that you have had in what most will consider like such a short life, um, thus far and like how much, how much impact you're going to have even going forward with this experience and with what you are learning from this all. How can I ask, how are you now? 10 years later. Oh, thank you for saying that. Like, it means the world. I, I'm often in awe of like, whoa, I did not ever think I would be here, honestly, especially those beginning years. I'm like, this is going to be my life forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so glad I held on. Like, I'm so glad I knew it was like you'd get little glimpses of a hope and it was holding on to those moments. And I'm like, all right, there can be a different ending. And now I truly will say, like, I am the happiest I've ever been. Um, I am not in any relationship, which, like, for me, that was also a lot of worth and validation was always in that. And I realized, like, no, I just need my time. And, like, that has been so freeing. I am slowly getting back to running. I had hip surgery um, in May. So I'm slowly getting back to running. And that has been so cool, but also, like, Honestly, it has not been a lot of the resting has actually been so beautiful and like I love it. And I just having these conversations with people. Um, I was at Ohio State all week doing different events with student orgs and going back and hearing this one girl came up to me. She's like, You changed my life. And I was like, What? Like, no, I didn't. I really didn't. I'm just here. But it was just so, it's just been so cool. Um, to just see all of that. So I've just, yeah, I'm doing, doing really, really well. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and I'm glad that you, like I said, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you, I'm not glad that you had this experience, but I'm glad that you came through this experience so much stronger, happier, healthier. Um, because yeah, you, you literally are going to change so many lives by being the person that is going to be open and talk about this and make it something that isn't so taboo or hush hush or keep it behind closed doors. Don't let everybody know that this is what's happening to her. Like, no, let people know. Cause if no one's talking about it, then people don't know that other people are also probably in the exact same boat and experiencing it um, with just knowing those numbers and the prevalence of eating disorders in just the U S alone. And then the entire world, like it's impacting so many people. And the reason that it's impacting so many people and it's going so far without people being aware is because 
it's not being talked about and the signs and the things that people that maybe are closest that could help aren't, aren't kind of like, they don't have their eyes open enough to know what to look for. And you're bringing light to that. And that's huge because like I said, you're not going to only change people's lives that are currently experiencing this, but you're going to change somebody's life that could save somebody in the, in the interim. And that's huge. Like, that's like so valuable. Like what more, (laughs) what more could you, could you want to accomplish in a life? (laughs) Oh, you're so kind. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I want to touch upon something that like you brought up that you talked about, like, I think in the first part of your story where the the power of words and like what people say matters. Um, And you talked about how your dad had said like, don't eat that or you won't fit through doors. Um, I still remember a very vivid moment in my life where my, again, being compared to a different person. Um, I had a cousin that was much like was around the same height as me, smaller boned, just naturally like faster metabolism. Um, she had different genetics. She literally weren't even blood related. (laughs) So like, wasn't something that should have been compared whatsoever. Um, but I remember my stepmother at the time when we were at an event, I wanted to go get something from like, we were at something that had like a fair food. So it was like nacho cheese and like all these things and like cotton candy and blah, blah, blah. And like, I wanted to go get something. And I don't remember if we had gotten something or we were going to. And she essentially just said, you can't eat what Shayla eats. Like you cannot eat how she eats and still remember that to this day, because I think I was like maybe 11 or 12 years old. And that was probably when it started for me that I had to be much more, or I thought I had to be much more diligent with how I ate to stay again, that arbitrary number that I came up with in my head of like what I'm supposed to be. Um, and it, it all stemmed from just those words that one time and like the influence that they have in the, it's why I think I'm so careful when talking with people about weight and weight loss and things like that. Like, I always want to know where it's coming from. Like why, what's the, the root and the cause or the thought process behind this? Yeah. Um, because if it's for health, if it's for your well being, if it's for, your ability to perform and like you're doing it in a like again it's so like there's no right word but like healthy but like in a not restrictive way where you're not kind of limiting your joy social engagements again labeling foods like if you're not doing any of those things then okay like there there is safe ways to go through weight loss and to go through those things um but so many people go the other route where it's restrictive and demonizing. And it's a very tricky balance. I feel like now, especially because it's being brought to light so much of like fad diets and weight loss culture and diet culture. Like there's, there's this weird place of like you, I feel like sometimes you can't even say like, oh, I'm trying to do this for aesthetic reasons because like somebody on the internet is going to like demonize you for it. But also like, are you doing it in the right way? And I put that in quotation marks the right way, but all of it stemming back from like, okay, what is the purpose behind this? And what is, why are you doing this? And where, where is this coming from? Yeah. And 
Thank you for sharing that. I think, yeah, language has such a huge play in so much. Um, and I just am one person that describes to like, we don't need to ever really lose weight. Um, I think if that's like a natural reaction that happens and don't get me wrong, there are certain, there are certain instances, but I think it's really, unfortunately, how much even access to care is limited with weight stigma, and then we don't get the actual root causes. Um, there's this research study done and a variety, but like there's a very high correlation between um, those in larger size bodies and the ER, and a low correlation between those in larger size bodies and preventative care. Mm -hmm. and the reason for that is because they are denied access to preventative care. So by the time that they actually get the care that they deserve, which they should have deserved from the beginning, it's ER, it's extremes. And so all in all to say, I think it's really, it's not denying weight, like weight is a metric and it really is getting so in tune with like, how do you feel? What are other ways that we move our body or like so many other things that we should be focusing on and weight should be one of the last as an actual mm -hmm. measure of health. Um, and I also like, I can only speak on it from listening and like educating myself, but I also think that these are areas that we really need to do a lot of listening as a society and listen to individuals in larger weight bodies, listen to their experience, um, listen to, you know, like I am Jessamine or my name is Jessamine is an awesome account. Um, there's a book, she's like a, she's a larger body, like athlete and whatnot. So all not to say that I think there's so much that we as a society need to educate ourselves on when it comes to um, just weight stigma and normalizing larger weight bodies, which we unfortunately do not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you work with individuals on this. You work one-on-one -on -one, like in a coaching capacity, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, tell us kind of about what that looks like when you, when you work with individuals. Yeah. So I work with individuals with like, specifically I used to just do like run coaching and then I would teach larger yoga teaching classes, uh, which I still do. I, I work with individuals with a variety. Um, a lot of it's more disordered eating, or if you're very further along in your eating disorder or recovery, um, and, or you have like a team and I'm part of that team. Um, but a lot of it is really just understanding where you are, your relationship to food, your body, movement, and meeting each individual where they're at. So some clients, it's, okay, we're spending times working through fear food lists and going through like making a green, yellow, red list. So green is like, foods are great. Yellow is like, meh, I'll try them every once in a while, but still gives me some fear or anxiety. Red is like, hell no, won't ever eat those. And we slowly start to like integrate that. But then we talk about like the why behind the integration. Why are we fear of that? What are the messages you've been receiving? And then taking that same thing when it comes to like w the reason why I love integrating even running and yoga is like meeting a client there. Like I'm a runner. I'm like, great, cool. Like let's work together on a movement plan for you, a run plan as you're working through different things that integrates into all of the different things that we're talking about with food, with body. I don't prescribe like any actual um, diet plans or whatnot. 
um, because I'm not a registered dietitian. Um, but they would meet potentially with an RD for like once, maybe once a month or once every other month and just get more of a meal plan if that is something that's needed from a structure standpoint. And then mm-hmm. I would help to work on integrating that plan itself. Um, as well as just looking at the full picture with the end goal of like, one, yes, it's what goals do you want to work towards? But my overall goal with people is like that you just feel so much freedom in your body. You don't have to always love your body, body neutrality, um, but you feel freedom in your body and you feel freedom around food and you feel empowered by that relationship. I love seeing how my clients, there's just so much brain space that's freed up and they're able to just think about all of the things that actually matter and focus on relationships and family and friends and not be consumed by, by food and by movement. And so um, I really spend a lot of time just getting to know the client, getting to know their history, getting to know where they want to go, um, their goals and working out with them like through all the different things and also thinking about, okay, well, what came up for you this week that you want to talk through? So mm-hmm. um, I think it's a great way to kind of bring everything together. Yeah. I love that for in like, maybe just like going into it, like quickly, if, if you're working with somebody that is kind of having like a difficult week or struggling with like some thoughts around like their body or their weight or like in their, they're kind of like going into that, that spiral or that circle is there like a technique that you try to work with them on that you've found like, again, not one size fits all, but is there something that you typically see works really well for people to pull themselves out of that so that that's not the one thing that they're focusing on? Yeah. So I love the idea of toolkits, right? Because every single person is different and every single thing that they're going to do some weeks, it's going to work great. Other weeks it's not. Um, but I, really love to kind of build up and better understand what works for different people. Um, One that I do feel like works often is kind of a reframe of thoughts. One also will, I'll just hold space in session for them to kind of talk through different things. And we'll kind of talk through the mindset and what is the like emotion that's happening after that thought or after that reaction. And the other thing that I challenge them to do is to journal out like all of their thoughts or journal different things that are they're spiraling on and then step away. I don't want you going back to that spiral. Step away. Go do something. Go eat a snack. Go call a friend. Go outside, whatever that looks like. And then come back when it feels okay, maybe an hour later, just giving yourself some time to decompress. And then fact check those. So say, for example, it's, man, I feel really bloated today. I don't, I shouldn't eat. The truth is that I deserve to eat at any single day and my body needs and deserves to be nourished. And so we work on that, a lot of that reframing. And I think that method in and of itself helps across um, body, food, movement, all of the things. I also love four, seven, eight breathing um, to actually truly slow down your brain and slow down your mind. So it's inhale for a count of four you hold for a count of seven and you exhale for a count of eight. And that actually truly physically slows down your whole mind, your whole body and is a great reset. And then if people feel comfortable, I'm always like, go have a little dance party, like just like dance around your kitchen, whatever that looks like. Um, And opposite to emotion 
opposite action to emotion reaction is a DBT skill that I often use with my clients. It's like, okay, I feel this way. Maybe you feel really anxious about going out with friends. What if I challenge you that you actually go out with friends? Like you do the exact opposite or like, oh, I don't want to, I feel like I just want to stay inside all day, which again is great. And like, if you feel that being around people might be of benefit to you. So doing that, you feel these things. And then by doing the exact opposite, or like you feel really small and weak, power pose and see how that changes how you're actually feeling. You're hitting so many things for me personally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what if you struggle with journaling? Like that is something like, I don't know how to journal. Like I am just very like, I don't know. Like, I don't, what am I supposed to write about? What am I supposed to say? Like, yes, I can write, like, I'm very good at articulating, I think, and communicating, like, this is how I'm feeling. Like, that's something that I've really worked on in like my journey with my therapist to be a lot better with communicating my feelings and how I'm feeling and knowing that like, regardless of whether those feelings make sense in quotation marks, um, they're still valid. And like, I need to like, honor that space and what I'm feeling. And I need to communicate that with whoever I'm like feeling those feelings towards or towards myself or whatever it may be. Um, and that's given me such a better relationship with my friends, with my families, with my partner. Um, and I think has made me more compassionate and empathetic when I, I work with runners and I see that they're struggling and I'm like, Oh, I, I can feel kind of what they're feeling. Um, but I don't, I still don't know how to journal. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, I'm like, I have no idea. Um, so for s- people that like struggle with journaling, where do you start? Like what prompts do you use to get people to learn how to write things down, yeah. <laughs> write their feelings? <laughs> totally. So I think there's two things. The one, when I was talking about, you know, write out, when I say journal out your thoughts, like I literally just want you to write down everything that's literally your brain is saying to you and not in any aesthetically pleasing, not in any profound way. Like literally if your brain is telling me I'm ugly, I, my body, whatever, like all of those things, because one, it actually slows down your brain because you physically cannot write as fast as your brain is thinking. Mm-hmm. So we'll actually start to slow down those train of thoughts. When we are stuck in our head, it just continues to spiral and spiral and spiral and spiral. And then we get lost. And so by actually going and writing it down, we're physically slowing down our brain. And then in regards to like, okay, I don't like journaling. What I challenge people to do is just think of it more as like a free write and a way for you to just get the thoughts out of your head. And I'll give sometimes some prompts of like, it really depends on the person, what we're working on, but I'll give some prompts. And then, you know, I will say, close all distractions. You can put some music on, but like throw everything away, set a timer, start with just like 10 minutes. Cause I think five minutes can get a bit too short um, because you're still trying to be like, I hate writing. This is stupid. But after that five minutes mark is like when you start to get into the flow. So try for just 10 minutes and maybe you want a prompt. Maybe it is you start with a prompt and then it just flows into something else. 
But by actually sitting down and forcing yourself to do it, again, it's really about just getting the thoughts outside of out of your head and onto paper so that they're not spiraling. You don't have to have some big epiphany. Sometimes you might not. Sometimes your words are just going to look like some gibberish on a page and that's okay. But it's just good to see also a reflection of what is going on in your head so you can start to fact check everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of like, a mindset drill that I have some of my athletes do when they like express that they're feeling like anxious before races. Um, and I'm like, all right, let's lean into this. And one, I'm going to have you write down what are three, three ways that if race day goes perfect, like these are the three things that would happen. And then I have them go and I'm like, all right, you write those down. And now what are you going to do leading up to the race or during the race to make sure that those things happen? Yep. Like, how are you going to make sure that that comes to fruition? Yep. And then now on the inverse, because we need to be prepared for both, what's the worst three things that could happen? What are like your nightmare situations for race day? Write those three things down. And then I challenge people and I'm like, all right, now what's the actuality of like something like this happening? Because some fears that people have, I'm like, like... I'm like, that. that's not as realistic as like you think yeah. it is. <laughs> it's not going to like, that's not going to occur yes. or the likelihood of that's going to occur is like 0.000% um, to, to 1%. And I'm like, let's bring some like actual, like, like you said, fact checking into this. Like, is that realistic? And if there are realistic fears, okay, now what are you going to do leading up to race day and on race day to make sure that like those things don't occur? Yeah. Um, So it sounds very similar to that in terms of like just writing your thoughts, but I can definitely uh, resonate with like me writing down or sitting down to write down in the first five minutes being like, I don't know what to write about. This is silly. I don't know what to say. And like (laughs) getting through those first five minutes of like just writing that over and over again. Totally. Um, And And the prompts I think can be really helpful for like situations like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that's super helpful. And I think, those like kind of three different techniques that you talked about um, can can be super valuable for a lot of people that maybe are just again getting stuck in that spiral because I know it happens to me on certain days like that that we're just getting in that spiral. Um, you talked about kind of doing the opposite of what you want to do, and so talked about you having like golden golden retriever energy. Um, I'm very much I like to identify like I I can be extroverted. I can bring a lot of energy into a situation, but I know now as an individual that it pulls a lot of energy from me. Yep. And so I only have a limited like social battery. Yep. And of course people like me who are like, they, they deem us as like black cat energy, um, are partnered with somebody that is a golden retriever. So my partner is a golden retriever and gets all of the energy from being with people. And so he wants to do all the things and I'm like, but I want to stay home and be cozy and just like stay in my house. Um, And so he literally like pulls me out of that sometimes and like learning the balance of like, okay, you can do a little bit more uh, than you think you can. Like you do have a little bit more of a capacity um, than you actually think is possible. And like, I'm relating this to not this past weekend, but the weekend before we went down to Florida for a big tournament for him. Um, and it, it was a lot, it was like full days, long full days from like, I was up at like six or five 30 in the morning and we weren't going to bed till like 10, 11 PM. And it was just, it was a lot of 
interactions, a lot of activity, a lot of time on feet. We were in Florida, so there was a lot of exposure to sun. And like, I thought I was going to be like the crankiest person by the end of the day. But each day I was like, oh no, I'm still doing okay. (laughs) So maybe I actually have a bigger social battery. He's going to listen to this and be like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But have more of a social battery than I think I do. And like you said, pulling yourself out of that and maybe forcing yourself sometimes to like do the uncomfortable thing, which I've always deemed the uncomfortable thing is where growth happens. And yep. so that's, exactly. if, if something's uncomfortable, you need to lean into it. Um, exactly. And uncomfortable can be so many different things. It can be doing things or sometimes it could be forcing yourself to not do things and yep. to just sit and rest where I think there's, there's people that need to find again, that balance between the yep. two. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Ali, it has been incredible talking with you. I feel like, again, just so grateful to have you here on the podcast, to hear your story, to hear what you're doing in the world. Um, the change that you are making for people, it's just incredible. Like you are an incredible human being. And I'm so happy that I just got to hear you on Tucker's podcast and got you, got you on mine. Um, I hope that we can one day meet in real life and like get to know each other better. Um, because you are just, you're just a light and like, you're going to do so many great things. And I hope to be like a cheerleader, even in the way back being like, yes, like that is, that is what we need in this world. Um, if people are interested in finding out more about you, they want your book. Um, I'm already going to put the link in the show notes below, but if they want to know more about you, if they want to talk with you, where can they find you? What, what sites can I, can I promote for you? Yes. Oh, this has been such a joy talking with you. And like, I'm so glad you reached out. I just, it feels like a soul friend. So thank you so much. Um, for I'm the most active probably on Instagram. So you can follow me at Ali Ray Pesta. Um, and then my book you can buy on Amazon as of now, working to get it in some bookstores, but um, it's an ebook, a paperback and hardback. So whatever version you want, uh, you can buy that there. And then my website is allyray.co, C-O. Um, and the best way to email me is ally at allyray.co. Um, also, Instagram DMs, very active in those. So literally would love to chat with each and any person that listens to this um, just about life and also any way that I can support people. And if you read the book, please let me know and please let me know what you think. Um, drop a review. Just, yeah, drop a review. It's the best. Some Share stars. Friends. It's almost Christmas time. Bye, bye for Christmas. <laughs> so yeah, thank you so, so much. It's been such a joy. Thank you.